Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I have with me best-selling author and change management thought leader, Brendan Baker. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And today we're going to talk about what every change leader needs to know about. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about how we can get results from this, which is a very actionable kind of topic that I like. So tell me a little bit about um, what a, a change leader does in the first place for someone who doesn't know who's listening. Yeah. So, so a change leader is someone that drives change. It really is as simple as that, that there's, there's this complexity around the whole thing. It's like, you know, it's like, well, what is change? Is it people? Is it this? But I take the purest possible look at it. A change is someone who is driving change and, and change in the broader sense, as in we need to shift from A to B. That's it. Oh, that's pretty straightforward. And change leaders are, I guess, tasked to deliver some sort of results through change. So take me through maybe an example or two of, of how that actually happens, how a change leader creates results for like a client or a company. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the change leader can be inside a company or creating results for a client or whatnot. But ultimately, the way I think about a change, sorry, the way that I think a change leader needs to drive things is through three priorities. Okay. They need to be clear up front. They then need to drive momentum and ultimately drive influence. The way that I tend to think about uh, change is through these three ripples. And the reason I say ripples is um, because they're very human. I, I, I'll let me ask you a question, Jason. When was the last time you went to a restaurant? Not that uh, not that recently, although this weekend I did go to one and we sat outdoors, but it's been years. So besides, yeah. besides yeah. this weekend, it's been years. <laughs> and so what was your experience like at the restaurant? <sighs> you really want to hear it. All right. Well, first there were flies buzzing around the table. I had to keep swatting them away. That was getting mm -hmm. annoying. Um, the noise from the traffic of the cars driving by and the fumes of the smoke coming by was kind of annoying. The service was slow. We had to keep mm. waiting for the waiter to come back to the table. People were like overhearing our conversations. I wasn't really into that and so on and so forth. I I'm not a really big fan of restaurants because I feel like the privacy kind of goes away. And also there are these unknown factors that get in, in the way of your enjoyment, um, whether it's like I said, the flies, the traffic, the waiting and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't the best experience. The food was okay. Yep. So how did you feel afterwards for like, you know, that, that 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the restaurant? Uh, we, we, we walked, we, we took a walk mm -hmm. and it was just more like, uh, yeah, the feeling of all those things kind of caught up to me and made me realize like, why do I put myself through this? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. And it's a sense of, you know, almost like frustration yeah. or, you know, it sounds like there's almost regret there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, you didn't mention the servers there, but I mean, I've certainly had restaurant experiences where I've had sarcastic or, or really nonchalant type servers as well. And that has its own effect. And I mean, it's, it's a really simple illustration, but essentially that restaurant experience, the ambiance, the serving, the, you know, is it was slow, the, the food, the environment, all of those elements, it rippled through to your experience. And, right. and you held that, that feeling and that ripple through for, you know, 30, 40 minutes afterwards. I mean, I had an example where I went to a, uh, I went to a supermarket and it was early in the morning because I like to get my, um, my shopping done nice and early and they only had the express lane open and I had a trolley of 200 things. Oh. 
right? And it's like, oh, and, you know, and, like, and I'm trying to get it through. And, uh, and so, I mean, the checkout person is just glaring at me the entire <laughs> time. And I'm like, well, I had no other option here. And, and right. I mean, it wasn't her fault, but I'm walking away frustrated. She's frustrated. Um, and, and the whole thing was just this really negative ripple. Um, but what's your, if you think about it, it's like, it's not her fault. It was the store right. management's choice not to open up those additional lanes. Absolutely. All right. And, and in your experience, it, I mean, it's probably store management's choice to not put fly tractors out, uh, you know, and not right. stuff up enough to make it faster and, and all of yep. these elements, right? Yep. And so there are these inherent decisions that ripple through. And, and so what's really interesting is that the same thing happens in change. It's the same pattern because this ripple effect is very human. And so I've seen, uh, in fact, I consulted on, it was a, it was going to, basically close to a billion dollar style, massive government program wow. of work, massive IT program. And it was a complete and utter failure. Oh man. And it failed because of these ripples. And, and, and I'll, I'll detail them a little bit now. So the first ripple area, and this, this is really your first priority as a change leader is get clear on what are you doing? In right. fact, don't just start with the what. Get clear on why. Start with the why. Why are we doing this? Answer, how are we going to actually prove success here? What's the metric shift we're looking for? Then figure out what you've got to do. Spend some time there. And my advice in that ripple is spend more time than you think you need to. Right. Sounds like it's and, like the entrepreneurship, um, you know, identifying the problem that yeah. you're solving, right? So it's, that's, that's exactly that's like the, it. the number one thing you do in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 there's. Uh, I mean, I, I'm an entrepreneur in my own form as well, right? But I also talk to a few, and, and I've got a few uh, advisory clients that are entrepreneurs as well. And then it's amazing how much is synchronized between change leadership and, and entrepreneurship because it sounds uh, similar. I mean, it, it's, it's very, very similar. Um, so anyway, get clear. That's your first ripple. Right. Your second ripple area is build momentum. And so that's when you actually get in, deliver, make sure it's efficient, make sure you're actually achieving your outcomes, those kind of things. But you're also managing the morale mm. because if you've got a team, driving change is really bloody difficult. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and so it has this negative morale draw. And so it has this, you know, like you're dealing with resistance all the time. And so people, it wears them down. And so your job as a leader is to maintain that morale as well and keep that momentum flowing upwards and you cannot do that if you're not clear up front it's like a team quarterback on a football team you gotta that's exactly yes call the shots make sure everyone's pumped make sure everyone's ready for the play and make sure yeah. everyone stays on track for the for the touchdown interesting yeah, yeah you're spot on and then the final ripple there is driving you create influence driving driving influence okay. and and you can't do that unless you have a team that's enthusiastic and, and they're delivering so. well, and you can't do that unless you're clear. Right. So it, it's this ripple forward effect. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing to keep in mind when you're driving influence is essentially two leaders, what's in it for them, which we all know, we all know it's like, okay, think with empathy, what's in it for them, that kind of thing. But there's a second half to that that no one tends to talk about is, and what pain are you asking them to endure to get that reward? right it's reward and pain so it's like what's in it for them what's the reward and what pain are you expecting them to endure and the harder you make it to get that reward the more resistance you're going to get right that's tough it's yes and you mentioned momentum and i mean things have changed dramatically during the pandemic especially when it comes to momentum and i guess enthusiasm 
and mm-hmm. uh, you know wanting to succeed in a company or be a part of a startup or whatnot. So you have this scientifically backed momentum strategy that you mention, I believe, in your book. And how does that work? Like, the, what's the momentum path? How do you enable leaders to? figure out what the momentum level is of their employees mm-hmm. in the first place. And then how do you get it to the place where you want it to be? Cause that's hard. It is hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're absolutely spot on. It is hard. So momentum is a really, there's a really nice way to think about it. And this is the way that I tend to think about it is if you imagine an X, Y axis and on the Y axis, you've got hope and on the X axis, you've got energy. So vertical mm-hmm. hope, uh, horizontal energy. Got it. And what momentum is, it's the intersection between hope and energy. And that's what's driving the morale. That's what's driving the momentum. That's what's driving people forward and wanting and people wanting to work. And so if you have extremely low hope and extremely low energy, like the very, very bottom zero, zero of each, what you've got are people in the depths of despair. Mm. And these are people that, that don't want to be there, but feel stuck. Right. They don't know how to exit. Uh, and so it's like, these are people that are taking all of their sick leave. These are people that are, that are not turning up that they're, they're leaving before that, you know, basically on the dot arriving as late as they possibly can, right. completely disengaged, extremely low productivity. And on the complete opposite end, extremely high energy, extremely high hope, you get people that are beyond motivated. You get people that are fanatic, right? And these, these are the people that that line up for a day to get the newest Apple iPhone, right? Or go right. to the midnight launch of Halo or whatever it is, right? right? It's it's that level of obsession. Yeah. And and you go, okay, well, there's things in between that. But ultimately it's a gauge of of hope and energy. And so, I mean, if I would if I'm there's stages in between it and I'm not sure if we'll have time to delve into all of them, but I'll Yeah. It's a really simple illustration, really simple rule um to keep in mind here is that the line that runs between hope and energy on this hypothetical X, Y axis right. is not a 45 degree line. Huh. Hope and energy don't increase at the same rate. Okay. So it's like a it, kind of like a balancing act. Well, what it does is it leans towards hope first. Right. And so it leans heavily hope and then comes across to, uh, to, to energy. Right. And so that's why you can't motivate people like using the, the traditional motivation style techniques of, you know, empowerment and, and, and blah, blah, blah. You can't use, you can't use that kind of motivation, to, sorry, motivational techniques with people that are in the depth of despair, with people mm-hmm. that want to leave because they yeah. don't care. Right. It's just a paycheck for them. They're not getting any kind of incentives for being there. Maybe it's just like a dead end retail job and they're not learning anything yeah. new. So, you know, working at a startup is exciting. You can use your creativity. You have hopes for potentially growing in the company and or exiting one day with your stock options. So you're energetic to kind of put all your time and ideas into it because the hope and energy is kind of aligned with what you want and what your goals are. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah. I'm a project manager, right? I, I, I manage a lot of whether people in marketing, whether developers, whether business or branding, content generation, mm-hmm. you name it. How can I make sure that the startup that I'm working in or anyone listening or watching, how can anybody really guarantee success by using your methodologies? Like what are the top three things? I mean, I know you mentioned some earlier, but what 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 mm-hmm. can I really implement today that, that would work? 
um, to, it's to, going to be to achieve, achieve that hope energy that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I, I, really it's, it's spend more time on clarity than you expect to. So dial in the why more than you expect to spend more time than you expect to on figuring out what are the shifts you're wanting to make so and do wait, that. Let's talk about that for a second. So you, you, yeah. you say that a lot, you say, what's the why? So, I mean, mm-hmm. say I have a vision and I'm solving a, a problem in the world, my startup, yep. right? Yep. How do I really push that onto the team, the why more? Is it more like creating a presentation for them? Is it like putting up a vision board? Is it like whiteboard with post-it notes? Like how do I, how do I really emphasize it to them? Yeah. So it's, it's really mainly about repetition, but before you even get to repetition. And so all of your answers are, you know, there's no wrong answer. There's no right answer in in that space Um, because it's to, I mean, the answer to that is it depends because who knows what environment and team and everything else you've got there. But um, if you can, you want to be doing co-creation, not necessarily on the why, but on the what does why look like? Mm. That that next question down, which is what are these? What does this actually look like in terms of the metric shifts we're looking to? Like, how do we turn this? How do we realize that why in reality? You can spend some time in co-creation there um, with with the key people, with the crucial people, with the influences in in your in your organization. Right. Then you then figure out, well, what exactly do we need to do? And if you're not the one delivering, if you're the one leading or managing, you get them to figure out what ne- what needs to be done. You don't tell them, right? And yeah. so it's it's flowing it through. And so what you're not doing is you're not starting with the what. You're not starting with the shiny thing. You're starting with the the why. You're co-creating the metrics, and then you're going, okay, well, what do we actually need to get? What do we actually need to do to to make those metric shifts? And then your job is then to drive the momentum and, dri- and enable that the delivery of Got those it. aspects. That makes sense. That's great. I hope uh, I hope people out there that are listening or watching are going to be using these methods because they sound great. Um, and your book, uh, you have a book for sale. Do you have a website that people can check out what you do or learn more about your organization or buy your books or whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so the book is a valuable change. What you need to know to ensure your change pays off. But just type in valuable change. It's available in uh, as many, basically any format you'd like to consume it. Okay. Uh, so audio book and ebook and hardcover and paperback, whatever takes your fancy, it's there, um, Amazon and everywhere else. Um, I'm at valuablechange.com. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm sure the links will be around this podcast yeah. somewhere. I'll add um, them in so, the description for you. Perfect. Uh, and so jump on LinkedIn, connect with me, send me a message. Uh, and, and I also have a weekly newsletter, which I'm rather proud of, uh, which is the Change Leader Weekly. Oh. And I'm, and I'm proud of it because it has grown exponentially in terms of re- viewership, readership um, over the last 12 months since I've launched it. And my unsubscribe rates are extremely low. Sweet. So there must be something in it, right? Well, that's, a, that's a testament for how valuable it is worth of information. So subscribe to his newsletter, everybody. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Brendan. This was awesome. Hopefully you guys all subscribe and check out uh, his book and his website. And as always, we will see you guys in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you at next week's episode.